All right, you ready? I'm ready. You hear that cowbell? I do. I don't know any of the words that they say in the song. Sure you do. No. What's it called? Don't Fear the Reaper. There you go. So this is Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. I like the Saturday Night Live version better <laughs> myself. Um, Zen Parenting Radio, we're excited. We're recording on a Sunday evening, right? Yes. It's important. Uh, yeah, it's important. To the listener, this is podcast number 312, or as I like to call it, 312, which is the area code that I grew up with. Chicago. You were an 815-er. Oh, actually, you didn't even have area codes back then. Decal we did. Me. I just didn't always I guess, have to put yeah, it in the phone. And neither did we. Remember the good old days where you could only dial seven numbers? Yes. Then I only had to do five, remember? Yeah, that's insane to me. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know phones worked unless you dialed seven numbers. Well, so towns. when you're in DeKalb, Illinois, you had to dial five numbers. Correct. And then once I was What like, was your five number number? 69911. That's crazy. I know. And then we had to add... Seven five to it, and then all of a sudden, like when I was in high school or college, they're like, "Now you got to dial eight one five too." And even I'm though like, you're calling from the eight one five to the eight one five, totally. Yeah, I'm like, I have a tired finger now. That was stupid. Rotary phones. <laughs> Rotary phones. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding, and who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And I always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is what, sweetheart? Parent self-understanding. Um, quick uh, events. June twentieth, my big tribe meeting. I'm not calling it a play date because That's you silly. told me that was silly. Yes. But we're going to play something fun. Last year we played some ultimate frisbee and some baseball. We might throw some football on there, maybe a little pickleball. So if you're a man in the Chicagoland area and you've had a little bit of interest in the tribe men's group, which I co-lead, this is a great meeting for you to jump in. So shoot me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com and I'll give you the logistics. Um, on today's show, Fear. We're going to talk about... We fear change. We fear change. We are going to talk about how to talk to our children about fear. Okay, like fear with scary movies or just general speaking fear? Well, I think all of the above because I, the things that we're going to discuss are somewhat universal, mm -hmm. meaning that you can use them in any situation. Right. Um, and I feel like I've been having a lot of conversations with our kids lately about fear, which is why I wanted to talk about this. Now, again, remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding, as you just said. So when we're talking to our kids about fear... We can't do it in a way where we're being like in a lecture mode. We have to be aware of our own fear when we're talking to our kids about fear. Right. So this is a multi-layered situation. Well, and are we going to talk, I have a feeling we're going to kind of broaden it, but we were talking at lunch today about like scary movies and stuff like that, sure, right? Sure, but let's, in, let's zone in on the story because I have about a few points here. So mm -hmm. I, we'll just start with the points and okay. then the stories will, will integrate into the points. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. So do you want me to just jump in? But first, okay. before you jump in, our first partner is Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. That's chirotree.com. Healthy families by choice, not by chance. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Kelly, for your support. Okay. So talking to our kids about fear, I, I've been thinking about it for the last couple of days, and these are the things that I feel like have been working for me lately. And I'm not saying that this list is limited and that this is it, because there's many different ways to do this. Um, but I think that we can at least, you know, like you said, Todd, tap into a lot of different stories and situations where these are effective. Okay. okay right. So number one, most important, normalize. Normalize. Please Stop telling your children that they shouldn't be afraid of things. Yes. Because that whole concept of you are feeling a certain way and you shouldn't be does a few things. Number one, it makes them feel bad or shameful or guilty about feeling a certain feeling that is completely human. And number two, it starts to diminish their ability to talk to you about their feelings. So you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. You think you're kind of like, you know, put, what is my trying to say? Um, you think you're trying to like play it down and, right. and be like, minimize oh, it. minimize it. That's the word I'm looking for. You think you're trying to minimize the way they're feeling, but really what we're trying to do when we tell someone else not to be afraid is quit feeling that because you are making me uncomfortable. Would you think that it is okay to, like, let's just say it's whatever, a five-year-old who's scared of the dark. Uh -huh. would, it be a, would it be a good idea to say, mommy and daddy get scared of things too? 
like to normalize it? I mean, you talk about normalizing, do you, or would that put more fear into the kid because you, they probably think their mom and their dad are like, you know, deities. And if they suffer from being afraid, would that make them more afraid? I don't think so. I, I think that we don't have to say mommy and daddy are afraid of the dark too. No. But we can say, we oh, that her. feeling you're having, that fear, yeah. I know what that feels like. Yeah. I've had fear too. And then I can see a child saying, well, have you ever been afraid of the dark? Oh, yeah. yeah. When I was your age, I was afraid of the dark. Tell me some of the ways you're feeling about it and we'll see if they're similar. Right. It doesn't mean that we have to be like, I'm afraid let's be afraid together it's i know what you're feeling and there maybe i'm not having your fear right now right. but i have my own type of fear and here's how i deal with fear and how do we deal with fear well um do you want to go to number two do you feel like we've done normalizing no i mean yeah i don't think we have to like beat on it but yeah i think that's a very obvious first step is you know make them feel like hey this is something that we all go through Yet, I'm going to back up a second and say, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> thank you for not playing the truck in my ears. Not in my ears. The loud truck in my ears. Ouch. Sorry. You just did it. I, sorry, I forgot. Um, you did not. <laughs> um, so the normalizing, as much as you're like, that's an obvious one, I can't tell you how often I witness a very loving and well-meaning parent say, don't be afraid of that. You shouldn't be afraid That's of silly. that. That's, That's silly. silly. That's you're ridiculous. Safe. Why would you be afraid? You did it yesterday. Why wouldn't you do it today? Or when you're a baby, you were. We talked about this on last week's show. Yeah. You know, infants aren't afraid of the dark because their brain doesn't know enough that there are other things that they their brain might be afraid of. So for a parent to say, well, when you were two, you weren't afraid of the dark. We become very like literal about it. And we have to remember that fear is an emotion. It's a feeling. And sometimes it can be kind of like a, a stuck thing in our bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it fear becomes part of our pain body. It becomes sometimes a, a multi-layered issue. Yeah. Like it's something we become afraid of because of a trauma or an experience that maybe we haven't even been able to vocalize yet. Right. So sometimes a fear is just like a kind of a blip, like, oh, that scared me and now it's over. Sometimes a fear is like a very well-developed uh, muscle. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's a positive muscle, but it's a very well-developed muscle. And so we have to be willing to, instead of tell our children why they shouldn't be feeling it, we have to be able to at least step back calm ourselves down because it, it can be annoying when our kids don't do certain things or yeah. they have certain reactions and we we're tired of it we're yeah. like this is starting to overwhelm me but telling them they shouldn't be afraid causes more of a problem in the long run um hopefully not too out of point here i just remembered my first really scary realization as a kid okay do you remember uh, do you want me to tell you mine and then maybe you can come sure. up with your own uh, two things. One is there. W we used to have birthday parties at this place called JJ Peppers, or I don't know what it was called, okay. but somebody was shot and killed there. Wow, that's and, a pretty big fear. And then at the Apple Tree Restaurant, three blocks from my house, a and this was when I was ten years old. Um, somebody broke in. Uh, it was the morning shift. It was five a.m. And somebody walked in and shot the guy and took the money, and the guy was killed. Wow. And that happened three blocks from my house in a really nice neighborhood of the northwest side of Chicago. And I remember being terrified. And so how did you handle that? I don't remember. Like, I remember having, you know, I don't remember, like, this great conversation I had with my parents. I think I, I don't even know if I shared my fear with them. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, there are these people out there that aren't being kind, and they're close to my house, and are they going to come to my house next? Right. So right. that was my, you know, it wasn't a boogeyman thing. It was like a real thing that, you know, like watching the news, but it, it was news around my house. And, you know, the way I always talk to the girls about that kind of stuff, and we'll, again, dig deeper as we go into these other things, but this is a real thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And there is a sense of grief about it and a sense of that's so uncomfortable and that is so scary and that is real. But we also have to remember that it's not as common yes. as the media would make us think it is. Right. There's actually a wonderful book that I was just reading um, last week called The Science of Fear. Mm. And it basically talks about the statistics and how right now in this period of time we're safer than we've ever been. Mm. 
but we are so inundated with what's happening all around us, sometimes close to home, that it starts to permeate the way we view things. And even though we're safer than we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago, we think it's getting closer. Right. And so that's that's one thing. Okay. And the other thing is, is to remind them that even though all of those things may be true, that we're safer than we've ever been, it's always wise to notice your surroundings. It's always wise to um, maybe go in a group mm-hmm. somewhere. It's always wise to look both ways before you cross the street, you know, on a very literal level. Like, it, you don't have to live in a constant state of fear, but you can pay attention right. to your life. Yeah. Those are two very different things. Like, one of the things... Um, I just said to, I was just working with a group of eighth grade girls and we were talking about, you know, keeping themselves safe and, you know, them growing up and becoming young women. And one of the things I said to them is, girls, you got to pay attention when you go places. You can't be looking down at your phone all the time and, you know, being like in a state of um, complete obliviousness to right. where you are. You need to walk with your shoulders back. You need to look around when you're walking. You need to be in a group. You need to be thoughtful. And that can be your choice instead of I am afraid of of where I am. Yeah. Because if you are paying attention, actually, to just share a story, um, I had just heard from a friend that in one of the, um, this actually happened in two public schools in Chicago, um, two of the main public schools, there were muggings in front of the school. Did we talk about this last week? Not on the show. So these are pretty big schools and they're well populated and, you know, and it was pretty scary. Yeah, because you know, it have... happened. Did it happen on a school day? Yes, well, it the happened in the was middle open. of the day. No, not. Um, it was like three thirty. Okay. It was after school, but it's still the middle of the day. Yeah. And in both situations, and don't don't think I'm I'm not blaming the children. You know, this is not a blaming the victim thing. But in both situations, the kids were on their phones, looking down. You know, kind of one of those things where they were not. Aware of what was going on, exactly, um, and so, and again, it's three thirty in the afternoon. You, I'm sure a lot of parents were saying, "Well, when can we look at our phones?" Yeah. Then, so I get that. It, that's not a simple answer. Right. What I'm saying is that these things happen, and sometimes the easiest victims are the ones that are not paying attention to what's going on. So it's it's just something that we need to be aware of, and not necessarily always afraid of. It reminds me of uh, when I used to watch the Nature Channel on Channel Eleven when I was little kid the lions would always get the weakest gazelle or whatever absolutely so the perpetrators the bad guys out there are probably going to go with the ones that are let the least clued in yeah i did i took a self-defense class uh when i was in my i think i was 18 or 19 and my mom and i took it together and the very first thing the guy said before he got into any like you know techniques yeah techniques he said just pay attention just keep your head up just look around keep your purse across your body Mm -hmm. really basic think how much harder it is for people to look up now because we're always looking down i know it's so true but i kind of i even had a thing with cameron today when we were leaving to go have lunch where she was even walking out the door of our house looking at her phone and she was just working on a photo she wasn't like you know texting or anything but i said go ahead and give me your phone so you can walk out the door safely like you know kind of in a funny light-hearted way because you know, if you get into the habit of walking around your house yeah. on your phone, then, then you walk out of the house exactly. and you do the same thing. Exactly. And again, remember, it's practice and not perfection right. because I have walked and texted before. These are not like, oh, I would never do that. Sure. It's does that become our habitual um you know, situation where we do that more than we do the other. Right. Can we pay attention more than we don't pay attention? So the first was normalized. Okay, Have we second, gone to number two? Well, kind of, but not really. Number two, stay with the fear. Okay? What does that mean? What that Sounds means, like a bad idea. I know. I think that what we think is when we get a fearful thought, we should run away as fast mm. as possible. Got it. So actually, Todd, there's a few things. So fear as an acronym, what's the one that you always say? False evidence appearing real. So so fear, false evidence appearing real. We can also think of fear as forget everything and run, mm. which isn't healthy, yeah. or face everything and rise. Mm. So fear comes up, and instead of running from it, it is what am I feeling? And tell someone about it or write it out. Or And this is where the normalization is so key. These go hand in hand because we kind of have a, you know, a 
unspoken rule in this house that if you have a fear of something, it's really interesting to talk about it. I kind of try and I, I, I kind of try. I kind of try. Do I sound normal now? No, you got a stuffy nose. Do thing. I still? Yeah. Gosh, when am I going to not? Some point that's after right now. I guess. I'm not very present with my current sounding voice. Well, because you haven't heard your voice normal in like three weeks. This is the first day in a long time I have felt like myself. Yeah. Like four days ago, I'm like, I'm almost done. And I was not. No. And I'm not good at not feeling like myself. You're still working through it. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But anyway, in our house, there is kind of this understanding that talking about your fears is interesting. And that's, I talk about mine. And when, when someone brings one up, I'm like, ooh, let's, let's talk about it. Let's really dig in. And my intention behind that is once you say a fear out loud, it maybe doesn't completely go away, but it loses some energy. It gives it less energy. It dissipates it, it a bit. It takes it. the air out of the balloon. And then if you want to even make that better, normalize it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I've had that fear too. And all of a sudden... The person who is saying their fear knows they're not alone and then start to really crack it open. And all of a sudden you start to understand yourself better. Yeah. Where's that coming from? Where did that start? A lot of times my kids are very literal. Like Cameron was saying um, at lunch today that the she's been watching Glee um, and she just saw the Glee about a school shooting. Oh, wow. And it wasn't a school shooting, but the kids thought it was. Got the it. episode is that a gun goes off and they assume it's a school shooting. It's just, they you know, lockdown. There's a lockdown, which a lot of kids are experiencing these Sure, days. they practice it probably, this right? Is, they practiced it. And I even know in our own town, there's been, you know, Lockdowns. luckily false alarms, but yeah. lockdowns. So this has become a normal thing. And it really bothered her. So when, I, when she brought it up that she was afraid of something, and I said, where do you think that came from? You know, I'm trying to really dig and she goes, because that Glee episode, it mm-hmm. scared me. And so then we started talking about, you know, tell me what happened in the episode. And, you know, it wasn't really the case. And and we started talking about the com- how common a school shooting is, whether or not it's common. You know, it just helped us kind of open it up. So your title of this bullet point was key, stay, stay with the fear, which basically means open it up, yes. expand it, discuss it. Don't run from it. Right. Talk about it. And if you are in a family or in a relationship or a partnership or in a friendship where you have someone that will allow you to speak it and normalize it, think about all the dissipating you just did there. Because if you repress a fear... If you take a fear and you just push it down and say, I'm not going to look at that, Mm -hmm. you know what happens. It's going to stay with you. It's not going anywhere. And it gets bigger. What you... Resist persists. Persists. Right. So if you and not only that, but what you resist persists and persists, and sometimes it morphs into something crazy, like where you say you're not afraid of anything, or you're too cool, or you rise you, above, you, and it's and it's not authentic, and you judge other you're pretending, people, you're posing. Or you know what I did a mm. lot is I start when I started to get really afraid, and I'm still kind of analyzing my my. Uh, teenage years with horror movies. I've already talked about this on the show, but I started to just watch anything I could that was scary just to see if I could like deal with it. You're like addicted to it. Yes. It was almost like this is terrifying. So I'm going to watch more and this is terrifying instead of like starting to break down. Like, what am I doing? And I think if we have that ability, because today, um, again, it got brought up, you know, because JC has now seen some scary movies, plenty of them. And Cameron said, you know, when is that time going to come for me? And I said, it's going to come where you can watch scary movies. That's going to happen in your life. But what's the rush? What's the hurry? At meaning that once it's there, it's there. Well, you know? and I think what you wanted to explain to Cameron is you don't even have to. Like, she doesn't like to go on roller coasters. And uh, she might be like, well, you know, she's probably never going to ride a roller coaster. So for her to think that, um, well, when am I going to have to watch scary movies? She may not... That's she may a very be able good to point. avoid it. She might avoid it. And when you just said she may never go on a roller coaster, I don't think that's true. Mm. I think that that is her for now. Yeah. Meaning that what I like to help her with or support her with are making decisions that aren't necessarily similar to what her friends are doing. Right. Well, and that's actually a really big point. And you and I think of it as a normal, but our 11 year old doesn't to go on any roller coasters. And I know that there's a lot of parents out there, like my dad, who'd say, no, you're going on it to overcome that fear. And 
we just kind of like, no, you don't want to go on it, you don't go on it. So the reason, I, the reason I'm making a point out of this is that it's very possible that there's somebody listening right now that thinks that their kid, as long as they get on that roller coaster, that they'll end up loving it. So force them into it. And our parenting philosophy is, no, you don't have to go on it. Because she does other things that are, see, because what is a roller coaster? It's a, it's a thrill ride. Basically, you're trying to get an adrenaline rush and you're trying to use fear to give you excitement. Yep. She doesn't need it. Yeah. So why make her do it? Right. She may have a good time. And the truth is, she and I, two years ago, we were at Great America um, and I thought we were going on a ride that was like a kid roller coaster. I thought it was like a version of The Wizard, yeah. but it was called The Raging Cajun. Yeah. And I took her on it by accident. It was a full on accident. Yeah. I did not, it was, I took another kid too who didn't yeah. want to go on. And it was a real roller coaster. And, and everyone was afraid. We're all holding on for dear life. And when it was over, she's like, I didn't enjoy that. So she's had the experience yeah. and she's done other rides that she does like. Yeah. So my point is, is sometimes we look at our kids and we say, we don't, you don't know what good for you. You don't know what you're going to enjoy. Yeah, and the truth us is knowing, they do. Us thinking we know better than they. Trust your kid. Trust your kid. Trust so your kid. We'll probably go back to stay with your fear, but let's go to the next one. Number one, normalize. Number two, stay with the fear. Number three. So this is more of what I say to the girls and what I say to myself, because now we're starting to get into how do we deal with fear too. But first, normalize and stay with the fear is good for adults too. Yeah. But this one is a little more the adults and the kids okay. more heightened. Notice it when fear comes up. Ask some questions about it. Okay? Notice it. Ask some questions about it. What that means is, again, this is a mindfulness thing. So we're using mindfulness with fear. When fear comes up, instead of having it be the overwhelming thing that intrudes your brain and you can't see anything else, notice when fear comes in, have a word for it, and ask some questions about it. Give me an example. Well, like, I tend to get, let me think of something that I get afraid of a lot I've got a few of them, but some of them are more personal. I don't know if I want to share. Sweetie, nobody's listening. It's just you and I. <laughs> well, um, let's see. About, do you have one that you can come up with before About I do? About things I'm afraid of? Yeah, because I'm sure I can come up with it. I just need Well, a mine are boring. Well, do a boring one until I come up with my mine. My boring one is I'm afraid I'm not going to have m- enough money to pay for my kid's college. Okay, so let's just play with that for a second. Okay. When that thought comes in, because you may say, I'm just afraid of that, period. But the truth is, you're not feeling that constantly 24 hours a day. No, it comes up. It comes up when? Uh, When I see my credit card bill. And then ask some questions about that. You're seeing your credit card bill. The fear comes in. I am not going to be able to pay for college. Which happens a long ways from now. Right. But that's answering the question. Instead, Ask some questions about it. Is this, you know, let's use Byron Katie's The Work. Is this true? This feeling that's coming in, is this true? No, it's possible, but it's not true. Very different thing. Right. Truth and possibility are very different because right now, I've been using this lately and I'm going to use it again. A bus could come through this house and and go through this podcast booth, right? That'd be weird. Right. But is it a possibility? Possible, yeah. Okay. So it's no different than you saying, well, maybe I couldn't. Right. So is it true? Okay. No. So right there, it's not that you're repressing the fear and saying I shouldn't feel it. You're questioning it. You're noticing it. You're also noticing when it shows up. Right. So basically, anytime you and I have a talk about money or when you open the credit card bill, when it pops up, you can start to be friendly with it. Hello. But I don't like it. I don't want to be friendly with things I don't like, sweetie. But let's think about that in the bigger picture because that is something that on this show in the philosophy that we try to practice in life we know doesn't work if you don't like something then you're mean to it mm-hmm. is that really what helps no. or is or is it when i don't like something i get to know it better i start to analyze it i start to learn more i start to understand it so i don't like fear either i mean i'm using you right yeah. now cuz you were able to come up with something quickly I get very uncomfortable in fear. I and my fears are interesting because I, I got one of your fears. Okay, please. Well, I will come. I'll, you'll be in bed and I'll be watching TV and I'll come upstairs and you'll be like, "Have you locked the doors?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I think so." And you're like, "That's <laughs> that's not, not going to cut enough. it." Yeah. So the reason you are so careful to make sure that I 
lock the doors is because you're afraid of something. You know what that's connected to? I know exactly what that's connected to. It is connected to, in my life, when I'm making choices, I try and be thoughtful. So if, and and this is, I'm telling you really what's going on inside of me. If something happened, I could say, I made that choice with good intention. I made that choice responsibly. So if something bad happens, I can't go back and be like, you were irresponsible. You weren't thinking, blah, blah, blah. Even though uh, there's no way I can keep that from that that could happen where sure. sometimes I'm just simply irresponsible. Yeah. But I try and practice being thoughtful, paying attention, and being responsible. If you go to bed, you or me, and we're like, eh, the doors aren't locked, big deal. And that's kind of how right. That's kind of how I view it. But in that point zero zero one percent chance that, that someone decide to open that door and right. come in, how dare I allow that to happen? Right. When I could have simply gone click. Yeah. Now I don't take that to a heightened sense where then I lock the gate outside and I lock the it's a very basic lock the doors before you go to bed. Put yourself in a position to, to succeed. Right. Put yourself if and when you go to bed you're so not and you've come home before Todd and I've gone downstairs because you, you know, you fall asleep and doors are wide open mm. and that's not safe. Right. I mean, do I really think something's going to happen? Most likely not. But why even put ourselves in that position? Right. You know, and that's kind of the there's no way to do that perfectly because during the day I don't lock the doors. It, there's like a there's like this balance between being careful, being, you know, normal. And, yeah, because people might have OCD and you know, lock the doors 24-7, you know, there's, you can be out of balance the other way. Yeah, there's a spectrum there. I just feel like when we're all in bed and my children are in bed and we are comatose, we're no longer alert and awake, the best and easiest thing we can do to stay safe is lock the door. Right. Let's, it's kind of like a closing down. Right. So we can safely get ready for the next day. So that is, and that is what it's connected to. And I don't know if that feeling of doing everything responsibly is 100% healthy. I think there's a sense of that's how I get really, I'm hard on myself because sometimes I'm like, gosh, if that's irresponsible, then I'm very shaming. Mm -hmm. And sometimes irresponsibility is hard to avoid because you didn't know you were being irresponsible. So I'm not, even though I'm aware of where that stems from, I don't know if that's in a 100% healthy place all the time, to be honest. and so, but I was going to go back to my fears are interesting because a lot of it is a really deep old feeling of not being good enough. And that's a childhood thing. And that's a very common feeling. But I really have done so much work on fears and they all tend to go back to that seed. So when I have fears about work, when I have fears about not being heard, when I have fears about, you know, um, not working hard enough, um, not showing up for people enough, not being a good enough friend or whatever. It all comes back to I'm not good enough and I won't be loved right. unless. Right. So why that's good for me to understand and really know that that's where all the roots stem from sure. is that's it's I it's like I haven't cleared away that fear. I think it'll always be there, but it, the path is a little more direct. Mm. I can say to you, Todd, I don't feel like you're hearing me. And that, as we talked about on a show before, I kind of am in child right now because I'm feeling like you don't value me. Right. Instead, if you didn't listen to me, I listened to you, you're a jerk, where I stay on that surfacey level, I can go straight to that and I start crying a lot Mm -hmm. because it's a very kid response. Response. Like, I don't belong in this world, that kind of thing. Right. Um, And I just think that that's, and what we do as adults is we recognize that old trauma or that feeling that a lot of children have, but we make choices and do things to not live in that place of fear. Yeah. We say, that's not true. You visited it. I visit, right. And you try not to visit, you try not to visit it at all, but you don't live there. Let me say this. I acknowledge it and I parent it mm-hmm. because that part of me is a child and I am now an adult. So when that part of me gets like triggered, I try and be a parent to that part of me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. But you need to step outside of when you go into child, you need to have the 
ability to step outside of it, which is sometimes hard because Correct. you're lost in it. And when I'm lost in it is when I get passive aggressive, when I start to be snippy. That's when I am living in that space of nobody values me, poor me. Yeah. And then when I can step outside of it and say, hey, little girl, you know, little Kathy, whatever, what you're feeling, that was true for you at one time, but it's not true anymore. Right. right now you are valued. And even if you feel like those people don't value you, I value you. Right. Because as a kid, sometimes your your sense of your own self-worth yeah. gets diminished. Yeah. So you want me to move on to the next one? Yes. Okay. How many we got, by the way? Just, we, we don't have to go through all of them. Okay. So don't stress about time. Okay. Um, number four, this has been my favorite with Skylar lately. Okay. Imagination and creativity with fear imagination and creativity. So I can give some examples with this. So what she's been sharing with me lately about fear is something that I think is so common for people, and this could be adults too, where she will be like walking down the hallway and it'll be a little bit dark and she'll see like, you know, those huge Mickey Mouses that yeah. are around her door and she'll see the Mickey Mouse and then it'll the face will start to take the shape of something scary. Yeah. And she'll be like, it. she doesn't use the word morphs, but that's basically what she says is it starts to turn into something else. And I'll always say, oh, that's your imagination doing that. Mm. And I'll be like, your imagination. Seeing something that isn't there. Exactly. So instead of being like, oh, that's not it. I'm like, oh, I'm right there with you. Your imagination is doing that. She'll be like, I know. And then today, I don't know if you heard us talking about it at lunch, um, but she said, uh, you know, she was talking about, it it wasn't the Mickey Mouse, but she was talking about a doll morphing into something scary where it became a scary doll. And I said, it's your imagination. She's like, I know, I know. And I said, now play with your imagination because your imagination can go scary or it can go silly. It can go the other way. And I said, you can go the other way. I said, so when you see it become scary, say imagination, now let's see it's silly. Right. And she said, thank you. Like she was like excited to try it. Uh, And I don't know how it'll work for her. Yeah, she may, basically you're telling your brain to think a certain way. Right. And it may or may not work. Correct. And it may be like the scary is more powerful, you yeah. know, because dark darkness has power. And some it's so scary. More seductive. Just, correct. Um, that's like my Magnum P.I. story I told at lunch. So tell that one. It's so good. I don't know. It's some Magnum P.I. where uh, Thomas, Ma- it was a flashback. So Thomas Magnum, Tom Selleck's uh-huh. character, um, was on the beach with his father. And his father is actually played by the sergeant from Chips. You remember the sergeant from Chips? Kind of like the boss guy. It doesn't matter. So you remember Chips, right? Of course I do. But I'm trying, I can think of. He was the boss. He was Ponch and John's boss. Eric Estrada and Larry Wilcox. Right. Their boss from the show played Thomas Magnum's father in this particular episode of Magnum P.I. That's random. Completely okay. irrelevant to the story. Yeah. Okay, go on. And he was talking about, he was talking to his dad, Thomas Magnum was, and he's like, I get scared at night. And he's like, oh, what do you get scared of? And he's like, because of the monsters. He's like, oh, what monsters? He's like, oh, well, there's a bunch of monsters in my closet. He's like, oh, tell me, what, what do they look like? And he's like, oh, well, one's big and hairy and just growls. He's like, oh, and then the dad would say, oh, that's Larry. <laughs> And then he's like, well, tell me about another. I know that one. And then he's like, tell me about the other monster. And he like explained the other monster. Oh, that's Barney. And the idea, and then the dad said in the show, he's like, you know, what happens is if you give these scary things silly names, it takes the edge off. Exactly. So you're welcome, everybody. That You told me that story and I love that story (laughs) because that incorporates everything we just said. We just said normalize, let them talk about it and listen. Imagination and creativity, which is, oh, Larry, yeah, I know him. I've seen him. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden your kid's like, oh, wait. Maybe this isn't as crazy. And that's what the movie Monsters, Inc. did for kids. Yeah, it might be warrant. Uh, it might warrant another showing. If your kid is in that place where they get scared at night, you know, because we think of monsters as scary, but that's a great movie it to is. talk about, throw a different energy at the word monsters. That's the movie that'll do it for you. It is. And I actually even have in my office one of my favorite sayings that helps me. Um, and it's a, it's a picture. It's drawn. It's like a little guy, and he's kind of standing, looking a little afraid. And behind him are three funny-looking monsters, like silly, like Monsters, Inc. monsters. Yeah. And the quote, which is a Buddhist quote, says, befriend your monsters. Mm-hmm. So when you see the monsters being like silly like that – yeah. And, you know, they're kind of like trying to be your friend. You look at them a different way because that's the interesting thing about fear is fear 
is there for a reason. And a lot of times fear is there in the most like reptilian way, which is, you know, there's a tiger behind you, run. You know, that that kind of fear. But the other kinds of fear where it just creeps up at weird times and it creeps up when you look at, you know, credit card statements, it's trying to either open something up, release something, or, or have you pay attention to something you've been avoiding. Yeah. And so... Uh, Pema Chodron, um, she writes and talks a lot about fear. And she's a teacher and an author. Um, and she always says, fear is a natural reaction to moving closer to the truth. Mm-hmm. So when you feel fear, it's an, it's, it's an opening. It's like you can take the opportunity to push it away and repress it and run away. Right. Or you take the opportunity to walk into it. One of my favorite things to do is when something is really bothering me and I notice that I'm talking to Todd about the same thing over and over again, like I start to notice my own patterns. So I'm like, I'm obviously afraid of this. So I love to take it into a meditation Mm. and sit there and go, okay, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to sit in this for 11 minutes. And you know, it's kind of like I'm talking to myself, show me something. Show me what this is or feel it. Because oftentimes when you get beyond the feeling, it's almost like getting beyond your stomach ache about it. On the other side is something really old, most of the time not true. Yeah. You know? I do. And that's a very, these are very adult, you know, with children, they may not be quite Won't there be able yet. To do that, right? But as an adult, that's really important. So, but again, going back to imagination and creativity, your story. So I'm going to give mine a number five. And number five is give them, give the monsters a different name. Yes. And befriend them. Yeah. Befriend your monsters. Um, do we have time for another? Sure. One more, sweetie. Okay. Ooh, one more. Pick a winner, Johnny. <sighs> Pick a winner, Bobby, not okay. Johnny. Okay. I'm just going to do a big... Um, summary? Summary. I, well, I'm going to talk about mindfulness. Okay. And smiling at fear. Mm. Okay. And I think, again, this is Pema Children. Um, I think this is kind of incorporating all these things together and that we can really better our mindfulness practice by recognizing our fear and helping our children smile at fear. What does that mean? She wrote a whole book about it, so there's no way I can completely encapsulate this into a sentence. But it's the it's the practice of noticing it and having a moment of understanding for it, of maybe gratitude for it because it's trying to help you. Um, having that sense of appreciating your humanness, accepting yourself, um, acknowledging and looking at it as an opportunity to connect with someone. Because a lot of times, again, sharing our fears connects us. Sure. And having that practice of having enough separation from our fear, and there may not be just one, but having a little bit of separation that we have some we realize that the observer in our mind isn't afraid at all. It's the stories we tell ourselves that make us afraid. And then going back to the Byron Katie, is that true? And for those of you who don't know Byron Katie, she um, created something called The Work. And basically it's just a series of questions to recognize, are your thoughts really telling you the truth? Um, And so is it true? And sometimes just practicing that, you may never get rid of the fear 100%. But it loses some of its power. Right. And then I wanted to give you a quote because this is your guy. I saw this today and I thought this was good. So there are two core fears. Losing what you have and not getting what you want. Mm. There is one solution. Falling in love with where you are. Jeff Foster. My guy. Yeah. I figured that's who you're talking about. But isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah. Because that is one of my fears sometimes is like not working hard enough and losing things or not getting what I want or not fulfilling a dream or it, it's like a it's like a silly climbing to nowhere. It's well, a race to nowhere. You know, like my money thing, like let's say we win the lottery and I didn't have to worry about college tuitions. I my my fear would switch over to something else. Yes. Like it maybe it's I don't spend the money that I just won in the lottery well enough. Like, you know, there's always something to be afraid of. So let's take that a little further because you know how I said most of my, the seed of my stuff is about worthiness and about being, having a voice in the world and like being present for the world or I am present for the world, but being valued in the world. So your money thing stems from something way deep down and it may not even be about money. I know I've tried to do all this introspection. I have no idea where it came from. I don't. I think it's loss. 
Maybe. Who knows? Loss of control. Yeah. And we don't need to figure it out right now, but it it's not, to your point, it's not about money. It's just showing up through money. Yes. Yes. And I, my brain always thinks it's about not having enough numbers in my bank account. Correct. Yeah. And so sometimes you get to, you think you're solving the problem by saving more right. money. And I love that you're conscious of money. So I don't want to like, so, yeah. so the fear can be helpful in some ways. Yeah. And that's kind of how I try my best to, well, whatever, trick myself into it saying, thank goodness I have this fear because right. it, it helps me make certain decisions that are in the best interest of this family unit. And now that I've acknowledged it and noticed the goodness in it, let me start to be more thoughtful about how it hinders me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What I was going to say about this whole podcast is that our listeners, like if you happen to, you know, my guess is if you're listening, you have kids, maybe they're small, young children, maybe they're teenage children, whatever. But um, usually I tend to listen to things with, well, oh, how can I teach this or how can I share it? So I think parents may have listened to it like, how can I help my kid through their fear? And I would invite them to maybe think of it in that way, but also to think about it in their own terms like because we use kind of like these metaphors and this language that had to do with monsters and scary and little kids and it's easy to be like okay i can help my kid do this so you're saying in their own terms meaning use this to help the parents use this understand. exact same information use these metaphors use these examples that you have just shared with their own as well as because it's so easy like oh i'll help my kid with this and to neglect your own fears. Absolutely, you know? because you can't help your children with their fears if your fears are unacknowledged. Yeah. So again, this is the third time I'm saying it. The best predictor of a child's well-being is your understanding. Right. If you get yourself and you're like, the only way you can normalize your child's fears is if you've acknowledged that you have some yourself. Yeah. If you go into this, oh, I'm fearless, nothing scares me, or you know, that doesn't bother me, that's the too cool syndrome. Yeah. Nothing bothers me. The people who protest too much yeah. are the most fearful and insecure people. Yeah. The people who have the acknowledgement of, yeah, these things scare me, but I'm gonna move forward anyway, that's some serious courage, that I have fear, but I'm gonna make choices to acknowledge it and maybe understand it, but I'm going to keep going. Right. Yeah. Um, can we move on? Sure. A public service announcement. I just read something in USA Today, Finding Dory's coming out on June, whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Finding Nemo came out, obviously the clownfish became unbelievably popular and the scientists or whoever it is were worried about, um, you know, the demand being so high that it would make these fish you know, not be around. Exactly. But the scientists figured out how to make clownfish breed in captivity. They have not figured out how to do it for the bluefish, which, oh, is, Dory. which is Dory. So there are certain, you know, organizations out there that is in, ha, trying to get Pixar to do like some announcement before the movie starts, which is don't ask for a, it's called a, uh, uh, do, 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 blue tang fish. Okay. So I don't know how true this is. I read it in a USA Today article or something like that, but. Oh, I can see how that could happen so easily. And obviously our listeners are more likely than not going to go see Finding Dory. So don't go out and get a. What did, you didn't say that right. They uh, are going to go out. Are and going see, yeah. to. So they are. So this might, information might help them. Do your right. own research. Search, but avoid the temptation to go out and get one of those blue fish because mm -hmm. it may not be so good for that. Yeah, let's fish. not drive up the demand yes. because that sometimes we we it's kind of like the bunny rabbits on Easter. I know. So we've had a rabbit for years, as many of you may know, Zen Bunny, who we love dearly. And I will tell you that when we decided to adopt, um, this is our second bunny. But when we decided to adopt a bunny, we had to go through a really rigorous interview process because they wanted to make sure we understood what needed responsibility. It's a huge responsibility to take care of a rabbit. It's not supposed to be caged all day long. What it's happens not a gerbil. on Easter? People that think it's just going to be cute and not be any work they go out and get it and then they set it free thinking that it's going to be fine and these rabbits are not fine so basically yeah so they get the rabbit they realize it's a lot of work they say oh i'm going to put you back out in the wild and, and domestic rabbits are not supposed to live in the wild right and so this great um we'll give a shout out to red door which is the um shelter where we get our bunnies and they just do great work they focus on bunnies mostly yeah. and then they have some cats and a few dogs sometimes ducks yeah. <laughs> sometimes you know they just basically are an amazing shelter but they go out they will get these i'm on their uh 
you know, Facebook page. And so they will get a, a sighting of a rabbit, of a domestic rabbit, and they will go out wherever it is in Chicago and go get that get rabbit. And so domestic rabbits are not supposed to be loose. And you know what, Todd? Interesting. When um, I got an iguana mm-hmm. when I was 22, they were kind of trendy then. And people did that with their iguanas too. They would get an iguana, it would start to grow because iguanas get huge. huge. Do you remember how big my iguana was? Yes, I do. Because when I got him, he was like a little salamander. Yeah. And he grew into a like 13 pound huge um, iguana with a huge tail. Yeah. He and Todd were not friends. I was scared of that thing. I know. I was not afraid of him. He was my buddy. But I, he, I was lucky at the time that I could take care of him. Right. You know. But a lot of people started letting them loose in Florida, not and good. then they had this crazy overpopulation because, of iguanas. Yeah, they have, there's no natural predators of them or something. Correct. Like that. And so they, they didn't know how to take care of themselves, yeah. and it was all a nightmare. Um, our second partner is John J. Kelly Dentistry, comprehensive dentistry. Uh, the website is ChicagoDentistOnline.com. Thank you, Doctor John Kelly, for your support. And if you have any teeth and you live in chicago go visit john kelly if you have any teeth that's right but if you don't have teeth don't even bother him Mm-mm. he doesn't want to talk to he you actually talk maybe to he does dentures I don't, I don't even know he takes care of gums he does he's a gum master mm-hmm. um maybe we have to, we're 45 minutes in you want to do a question sure. i kind of feel like we are responsible for some of these questions and sure. we're backlogged okay i was raised in a go to church every sunday at home not overtly religious but we went to church every week and did youth group in high school my husband was raised in a very music dominated home each kid excelled at an instrument that shaped their lives here's my question I'm not raising my kids in a home where we go to church every Sunday. We really just go on the major holidays or where we must be hyper-focused on a musical instrument. My open-minded parenting mind says that this is okay. Love wins. Chill out. They are good kids no matter their accomplishments. My ego is worried that I'm somehow keeping them from being religious-minded musical successes. (laughs) I know which one to pay attention to, but that ego keeps rearing its ugly head. Help. that's you've already answered your own question it is it's your ego Mm -hmm. and it's okay that it's there you don't have to figure out a way to demolish it or destroy it you just have to notice it and you just like smiling at your fear smile at your ego because you know exactly what it's doing Mm -hmm. what it's saying is you have in your brain or in your body and your cellular makeup it doesn't matter we can go neurobiological or we can go cellular or spiritual it's a very ingrained way of doing something because it's how you were brought up and so it probably in its own ways worked for you or didn't in some ways, but you're remembering how it was helpful or how it was just a very, it was part of your culture, yeah. you know, it was part of your family culture. And so now that you haven't incorporated it into yours, you're feeling like a little flaily, like, oh my gosh, they're going to miss something. But the truth is when you open it up bigger, what you're giving them is an opportunity to find they you know even more you know like religion is can be let me say this religion can be a path to spiritual awareness and for those of you who listen who get so much out of religion that is amazing and 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 appreciate that and enjoy that because it's allowing you to learn more about yourself that's what the key is and a more and connection and compassion but for those of you that don't rely on a religion but you you still feel that sense of i want to connect and have compassion and self-awareness that's another way there are many many ways right and so it sounds like you guys are doing a little bit of both like you appreciate the religion and you at major holidays you go there and you take in the um, the amazing experience of, of worshiping together, mm-hmm. you know, under one roof. Um, but you're not making it something that is a should or making it like I won't be loved unless I do this. Right. You're kind of dissipating those old stories. And so you're appreciating it for why it's there and, and for what it means to you. And you're creating a new family culture. Yeah, I think this woman is right on point. She sounds like she parents very similar to the way we do because I have the same worries like, oh, my kids, they, I, I want them to do this and they're not doing that. Or I want them to you know, be good at music and they're not practicing or they don't want to play an instrument. 
and what we have said in presentations in the past is if your son or daughter is meant to play the piano, that the piano will find them. And being musically inclined means many different things because there are people that are amazing musicians and they have kind of that, they come into the world. We were just with a couple last night and their son is an amazing musician. And sometimes he's really into music and sometimes he drops the music, meaning that he goes on and you know has other experiences. And these parents are aware enough to know that music will always be there for him right. and that he doesn't have to do it every day to be musically inclined it's a gift he's already got i on the other hand do not play my flute anymore i am not very good at the piano but i am quite musically inclined because music rules my brain meaning music is how i feel things it's how i see things it's how i i use lyrics to explain life so i may not have the guitar playing skills that this boy does that i'm talking about i just pulled it up what'd you pull up him playing it's on oh, YouTube. okay. Let's hear it. So I don't use names. I won't use names, even though he probably would love for me to use his <laughs> name. So this is our friend who, at the time, was nine he years. He was in old? fifth grade. Fifth grade, and he plays uh, Eddie Van Halen's version of Eruption. Okay. So here we go. So I'm going to pause it there, and then we'll finish the show with it. Okay. But what's interesting about this family is he hasn't picked up the guitar in months. Right. Because we asked last night. Right. He'll pick it up again because when he's ready. Because he loves music. It's yeah. just he needs room to try other things. And so to your point about being musically inclined, it sounds like your husband is musically inclined. Yeah. So if he is playing the guitar in his in your home or he's singing or you guys are playing music your children are absorbing it yeah. you know they're feeling music can still be a part of your family culture without forcing them to take lessons i'm thinking about our other um best friends um the dad plays mandolin mm. and he plays all the time. He just sits around, watches TV, plays the mandolin. The girls aren't playing mandolin, his right. daughters, but they're absorbing that joy yeah. and they're going to find their own way yeah. to either through playing an instrument, either through singing, either through dancing or just listening to it and enjoying it. It's like you, what you're doing with your kids is you're giving them space. And if, if you're like, I want them to at least learn music somehow. Well, then maybe in your family you say, just try something. Yeah. Like I was really pleased when the girls wanted to, um, my oldest wanted to play viola and my middle daughter wanted to play clarinet. They chose their own, but I was just glad they were going to learn about music. I don't know if they're going to take it very far, but it's just that starting place of this is how you read a note and this is what bass and treble is. And I want them to have an understanding of that. It wasn't forced, but it was, you know. Appreciated. It it was appreciated. I was glad. Me too. I was happy Because I never would learn anything. And so I think you already know, and just going back to your question of help, my ego rears its head, smile at it. You know exactly what it is. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a part of you that's saying, don't forget. And you'll say, I haven't forgotten you. I'm doing it a different way. Um, we have to get to this other question because oh. uh, there's a time restraint and you'll understand what I mean oh, by okay. that. Um, hi, Kathy. I am currently 34 weeks pregnant with my fourth child and my hormones are totally taking over my personality. I'm having such a hard time choosing joy and my poor sweet little ones are very in tune with that fact. Everything is setting me off, and I just have a really hard time responding with my usual love and patience. I know this is temporary, but I was hoping that you'd have some advice for me or some coping strategies to help me get through these last few weeks. Now, she sent this to me a few weeks ago, so it's possible she maybe had the baby. I've tried talking with a few friends, but the general consensus is just to wait it out. But I don't want to. My husband is is active duty military and is already very stressed about the fact that he'll be deploying when the baby is just a few days old and we are several hundred miles from my family. So I've been hesitant to add to his load. Please help. So here's what I'd say is because what I'm hearing is I'm pregnant, so I'm giving life to this baby inside of me. I have all these little ones that need a good, you know, that I want to be a good mom for them. I want to be 
um, a good partner and I don't want to put a lo- you know, another load on my husband who is in the military. And so everything is about I need to be better for other people. My first thing I would say is shift your story and say, I'm going to do things for myself. And then knowing that when you do things for yourself, it's going to then trickle out to them. Instead of I should be better for them, it's I'm going to be better I'm going to start to do things for myself to feel better. So you're going to say, well, what do I do then? I, When you're in this situation where there's so much going on, you have to carve out some quiet time. And you can meditate. You can just have 10 minutes of quiet time. And I'm saying this because there's going to be no way to find stillness or to be able to notice your own thoughts unless you can have a little quiet. Because I know with little ones around, it's loud. And you're not going to be able to be very patient then if you're not giving yourself an opportunity to practice patience in stillness. Mm. So 10 minutes, seven minutes, um, you can listen to a meditation tape. Todd does Headspace, which Mm -hmm. is an app, um, which is a really wonderful app. You can just listen to music. You can have complete silence. That's what I like. Seven minutes, eight minutes, just do that for yourself. Yeah, and it's funny because I think Dan Harris said this. is like if you don't, and you know, this poor woman has three kids running around. I can only imagine how busy her day is. But the Dan Harris quote says, well, if you can't have, if you can't carve out 10 minutes out of 24 hours, then that's really sad. Well, so, and the Buddhist way of saying that, because he's taking that from a quote that okay. is, if you can't carve out 10 minutes, then, or, and I'm paraphrasing, but if you can't carve out 10 minutes for meditation, carve out 30. Right. Or there's a million other ways yeah. to say that. But if you're not finding time for that small amount of time, then you need to do a really big mm-hmm. restructure. Right. So anyways, um, hopefully we helped you out a little bit on that. We're almost an hour in, which is a really super duper long show. Well, can I say one more thing to her? Sure. And also, instead of carrying the weight of everything is on me and everything is because of me and I'm the one who's going to make everybody happy, it's not true. The best thing you can do is take care of yourself. Trust that every – because basically what you're saying is – nothing is going to go right unless I do it right. Right. And that's not true. Your husband, he does have a lot of weight on his shoulders and it is his work, but he can still be available to you. And he's still available to the kids. I'm sure he is. And the kids, they're wise. They're smart. They, they love you. They, you know, they love each other and they're in their own way taking care of themselves. So it's not all on your plate. And she's probably thinking that it is. Of course she does, because all moms do. But this is, again, we're reframing the story. If we can have some sense of, you know, my children are, they're they're strong people. And there are times when I'm not going to make the best choice, but I'm going to go back and make a different choice and talk to them about it. And they will be able to understand. And we're going to move forward in honesty and authenticity instead of I need to be perfect or this isn't going to work out. Right. You, you, you don't need to be perfect, mama. And good luck with your, um, the end of yeah, your Yeah, let us know how it works out. Yeah. I have words of wisdom here somewhere. Oh. Um, so last partner is Avid Company, Jeremy Craft, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, uh, avidco.net, 630-956-1800. Um, I'm going to save my words of wisdom till next week because, oh, no, I'll say it, I'll say it right now. So we're going to close the show with our friend uh, playing eruption. But my words of wisdom is that the biggest drug in our society is not alcohol or cocaine or pot. It's problems. People are addicted to their problems because it lets them escape their fears. Mm, that's a good fear one. That's right. So here's our friend finishing up with the, his version of eruption. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a glorious and gregarious day.
Thanks for listening, folks. Hope you felt outstanding. So there's some different ways you can support us. Um, one of them is by asking either Kathy or myself or maybe both of us to speak at your next event. Or you can also tell a friend about our podcast. If you ship Amazon, go through the link on zenparentingradio.com first. It doesn't cost you anything, but Zen Parenting will get a small commission. You can also buy any of Kathy's three amazing books through Amazon or our homepage. And if you're like me and you want to teach your children personal financial management, then use FAMZOO. It's an amazing resource. It's a virtual family bank that will set your children on a path towards financial freedom. Click on the link on the lower right-hand side of our homepage to learn more. And if you're a Chicago guy and want to learn more about The Tribe, the men's group that I lead, go to thetribemensgroup.com. Do you want to grow your business by partnering with us? Shoot me an email. And you can also give us an iTunes review. Lastly, you can subscribe to our podcast through our homepage or iTunes directly. This will guarantee you're up to speed on the latest and greatest of Zen Parenting Radio. You can always send me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com and I'll be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. Finally, we're thankful for all your support and encouragement and always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Keep trucking.